This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write the political newsletter called The Illinois, which you can read every day at theillinois.com. That's I-L-L-I-N-O-I-Z-E.com. Coming up on our show today, we'll spend some time doing a deep dive into the trial of the so-called ComEd 4. If you haven't been paying attention, this is the first arm of the case involving former House Speaker Michael Madigan. It involves former Commonwealth Edison CEO Anne Promajori, lobbyists John Hooker and Jay Doherty, and the man accused of being kind of a bagman for Madigan, former state representative and retired lobbyist Mike McLean. We'll get into some more of it with John Seidel of the Chicago Sun-Times in a few minutes. But I wanted to take an opportunity to share a couple of the wiretaps that have been played so far. We're, we're recording this on, on Friday, March 24th, so we haven't seen the extent of the government's case. Uh, but it is surely shocking uh, to hear Madigan, who's this slightly mythical Southside Irish Wizard of Oz for so many years, uh, caught on federal wiretaps. Uh, not going to play them all. Uh, subscribers will get more of the details next week. Uh, but I wanted to play a few of the comments caught by the G for you. Uh, we, we did a couple of editing to shorten some of these clips, so they're not fully uh, what the, the feds presented, and we uh, bleeped out a couple of uh, not-so-nice words. Uh, the first clip shows the power that uh, Madigan swayed using McLean. Uh, it involved former Democratic Representative Lou Lang, uh, who was accused of sexual harassment in 2018, and Madigan seemingly used McLean to push Lang out of office. So I was going to call you anyway. I was going to wait. I thought today's not a slow day for you, huh? <laughs> it's been crazy around here. Has it? Okay. Uh, so when do you want me to call Lang and just lower the boom on him? Uh, I think because he, he's not getting he's not getting it. Oh. I mean, he understands it, but he doesn't like hearing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sooner rather than later. Okay. I'll do it. Um, now, now, Mike, I presume that there's this one woman who has allegedly told Lane that if he gets reappointed to leadership, she's going to go public. Yeah, and I'm trying to get that confirmed that she made the call. Um, Heather's the one that told me that. And so Heather has called her again yesterday. But she's walking out in the suburbs for one of our candidates. Okay. So she's not answering her phone. But as soon as I get that confirmed, I'm just going to flat out tell Lou I know about this call. I yep. want to confirm that that, that call has been made. Yep. yep. Yeah, I would say sooner rather than later. Okay. All right. Thank you. Will do. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This conversation is between McLean and Representative Lou Lang at the time, where McLean basically tells Lang that Madigan wants him out. So this is no longer this is no longer me talking. I'm an agent, somebody that cares deeply about you, who thinks that you really ought to move on. 
Um, so that tells me that that person is uh, no longer interested in moving me up in leadership, right? That's right. That's right. Um, uh, and I would never embarrass him that way. Although I must say, I I do believe that all of that is bullshit. But in the in the environment in which we are today, it doesn't really matter if it's bullshit or not, does it? No. I mean, you handled that first claim. But also, we, I think you and I as lawyers would say she did a pitiful job also. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just pitiful. Uh, and so it helped with this, discredit her and uh, credentialize you. But I don't know, this next gal, maybe she does a better job, and it's all of a sudden, uh, you know, then, then it's, it, you know, the, he fired his, his chief of staff of over 25 years. You know what I mean? I, sure. Things, he uses Cousinot for certain things. He uses yeah. me for certain things, and there's no reason with your skill set why he won't use you for certain things. And do you think uh, he would uh, be helpful to me in uh, business uh, procurement? Oh, yes. But I, I also want to tell you that I don't think you're going to have our time. <laughs> well, I, I don't either. Were you, you were not aware of this when we met, Mike? Uh, this all came about um, since you and I talked. That, at that point, he was just worried about you because, you know, we, we all hear rumors and stuff like that, and he was just concerned about, um, uh, you know, maybe after three decades, it's a good time for you to go make a buck. Um, but he he wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like, Mike, now you got to tell him that he's just not going to get in leadership. And, and now, if he then if he goes on the dark side after that, He's embarrassed and he's weakened. Whereas if he leaves before, um, like the caucus vote or the uh, I'm elected speaker, um, he leaves with, with strength. And I guess this gal is claiming that she's not going public just unless you unless you're in leadership. Well, all right. So that's something I'll have to consider. But more important than what she has to say is what he has to say. And, right. Uh, I hear you. So. I'll give some uh, some more thought to this. Um, I appreciate you leveling with me. Um, it wasn't really my plan for my future, but, um, you know, the, the caucus is important to me, and I would right. never – I wouldn't do anything to damage my speaker or my caucus. Right. Um, he's been very good to me, um, and I'm not going to do anything nasty to him. Um, so let me think about this. I think you know where it will end up going. It's hard for me to get my arms around that decision because, you know, I put a lot of my life into our caucus. Oh. The dark side, by the way, is a reference to becoming a lobbyist. Uh, that call was November 8th, 2018. Uh, Lang resigned from the General Assembly just a couple of days before uh, the new General Assembly was sworn in two months later. Uh, he is currently a lobbyist. So we haven't gotten deep into the the Fed's case uh, and, and specifically the ComEd part of the case, which which prosecutors are expected to roll out over the next few weeks, which, which brings us to our guest. And one of the people in the courtroom for the good and the bad and the ugly of all of this trial has been John Seidel, the great criminal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, John, I, I wanted to bring you in to kind of walk through where we are on this trial thus far, because 
I think, uh, you know, the politicos like me look at this solely through a lens of Mike Madigan. Right. Um, I, I guess to I, I guess to start with, um, what is criminal about what what or what is alleged to be criminal about what kind of seems like a lot of horse trading or or trying to curry favor uh, with a politician, which Lord knows anybody that's ever lobbied or tried to get in touch with politicians has tried to curry favor in somehow. So so where does the line blur between politics and criminality? Well, according to the, the feds, according to the indictment, how it became criminal is that they engaged in these these influence schemes, um, such as um, paying associates uh, of Mike Madigan uh, through intermediaries or engaging this law firm um, of uh, uh, Madigan ally Victor Reyes, that they, that they did, did these things with the intent to influence Michael Madigan uh, as legislation was moving through the state house, the, the schema bill and this FIJA bill. And, and defense attorneys were very clear that what they wanted the jury to keep the, the ball they want the jury to keep their eye on is any connection um, between the two, any connection between some of these payments or, or bribes um, and, and the legislation at issue. And we're still watching for that evidence. That's that's the other thing here. And, 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 we can, and we'll kind of get into some of the, the more details of it here. But a lot of this case from from what I'm, you know, and I haven't been in the courtroom, obviously, but um, a lot of what we understand this case to be is very much circumstantial. There's no smoking gun on on Mike Madigan, on Ann Parmesan, you know, John Hooker, Jay Doherty. You can maybe say that Mike McLean said some things that incriminate him a little bit, but but there's there doesn't seem to be a, a, a smoking gun here. So how how are they making that case? Um, they're making it slowly and methodically. Uh, which is which is what they do. So so look, we're about two calendar weeks, six days of testimony uh, into what the government has said um, is their case. It's going to take them four weeks to put together. Every little bit of this matters. Um, it, it's true. So far, we have been hearing horse trading and raw politics uh, as as one defense attorney claimed, and I don't think clear connections have been drawn yet. But Three of the biggest witnesses in this case have yet to take the stand. Uh, we're still expecting to hear from Wanachoa, who um, got his, who who Michael Madigan worked to install on the Comet Board of Directors. We we are still expecting to hear from Ed Moody, the the former recorder of deeds, who was uh, apparently the recipient uh, of of some of this money. And we've yet to hear from Fidel Marquez, who was uh, a former VP. Uh, at ComEd, who was approached by the FBI in January 2019 and wired up against his colleagues. And, and I really think that the recordings that Fidel Marquez made are, are going to be crucial here. Um, say what you will about the Victor Reyes contract or, or, or Juan Ochoa. Um, he recorded um, these defendants, um, at least McLean, Hooker, and Doherty, discussing the arrangement through which ComEd paid Joe, Jay, Jay Doherty's firm and, and through which Jay Doherty then paid uh, the likes of Frank Olivo, Ray Nice, uh, the former alderman Mike Zaleski, and um, uh, 
I feel like there's one name that's a, unfortunately escaping me. I know Eddie Acevedo's name. Okay, my, oh, Ed Moody. I'm sorry, Ed Moody was the other. And um, we're going to hear them talking about doing so in order to keep Michael Madigan happy. Um, and I think those recordings are, are going to be really crucial to proving that connection between, between trying to influence Madigan um, and, and the payments. And don't forget, this is, it, and it's hard to remember sometimes, this is not Michael Madigan's trial. Uh, they're focused on what these four people were, were doing, what they were trying to do, and what the intent of these payments were for. Well, and, and I think that's the thing people are, 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 and I'm probably guilty of this too, because I'm, I, I've worked in politics for all these years. I look at it through a political lens, but but that's, I mean, that's the heart of the the alleged crime here is that these are our lobbyists, our business people who who are alleged to have committed bribery, uh, essentially in in terms to help their business. Right. That's that's where we come down on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it is. And and look, the the two bills at issue, we we've heard testimony. Uh, from ComEd executives, that ComEd was on the brink of bankruptcy in the early odds. They were preparing bankruptcy affidavits at the time. Uh, they needed to get this legislation passed. Um, and, and look, the defense will point out that there was a massive lobbying effort uh, to get this legislation passed. Um, it, there was no one was behaving as though Michael Madigan uh, was in their pocket. And and I do I do think it's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to come down to how the jury is instructed. And once we see how all the evidence comes in and once we see the defense case um, as well. But, you know, I, I was thinking a little bit about this this uh, testimony from Will Cousineau yesterday about how he was sent by Michael Madigan to take one of these bills, the Future Energy Jobs Act in 2016, which apparently Cousineau had deduced did not have the, the, the votes to pass. Madigan sent him out to make sure it went from a bill that would fail to a bill that would pass. Um, and that's interesting that he did that. I'm sure that's going to come up, but I'm trying to factor in how that how that plays in, because, again, this is not Madigan's trial. And, and I think that there are a couple of ways that that could come in. But but one thing that I was thinking about was in a moment like that, when, you know, you, the significant bill for ComEd is on the brink of failure. Um where did these defendants want Michael Madigan to be on them? Did, did, did he want them? Did, did they want him to be someone who was indifferent to the bill? Did they want him to be somebody who um, would be happy to see their bill, bill fail? Or, or is, is, did they want him to be somebody who would work to get that bill passed? Now, look, there, are, there were political forces at work with that bill. Um, and the jurors, at least, have been told that this was very good public policy for Illinois. So there were a lot. There were there were other reasons for Michael Madigan to move on this. But again, when it comes to Michael McLean, Ann Promise, George, John Hooker, and Jay Doherty, um, why were they making sure that the speaker's allies were taken care of? It, I, I wonder if we'll hear an argument that it was because of moments like that. I, I also, you know, and maybe this is more just a, a, a how the clocks run on time sort of question, but. You've got four defendants in this case. Um, they're not on they're on trial at the same time, but they're all running sort of separate defenses. Does does that make it clunky? Does that make it harder for the jury to understand the defense? What as you're seeing these these four different defense attorneys essentially get up and try and dispute the the the, the government's witnesses? Uh, how are, are are these cases being 
are, are they being defended with with the same message or is it just kind of a, a strewn out different uh, set of, 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 of arguments? So far, um, they seem to largely be coordinated on the same page. That could change. You know, at, at the end of the day, each of these defense attorneys, you're right. They've got to look out for their their own client's best interest. And if the argument that, that could save uh, Mike McLean for conviction runs contrary to the argument that could save Ann Promajor, I mean, those those defense attorneys, they're, they're going to have to do what they're going to have to do. Right. But so far, I think we've seen a very coordinated effort uh, by the defense. Um, we sometimes we see Patrick Cotter who represents Michael McLean, do the heavy lifting and cross-examination. Other times we see Scott Lazar and others, um, you know, where, where, where one of these attorneys will, will cover ground that, uh, that applies to all of the, the defendants and then other attorneys will come up and, and pick up a few of, of the extra pieces there, whatever's, whatever's left. Um, but I do think generally the message from all four defendants has been this was politics. This was lobbying. Um, and look, it can be raw and <laughs> it can be difficult to listen to. And sometimes you're not going to like how it sounds, but this is the real world that we're dealing with. Um, and also that about a half a dozen jobs, when you're talking about Victor Reyes, Wanachoa, uh, Olivo, Nice, Moody, uh, and Zaleski, um, amid this massive effort to get this bill passed, um, these are not the things that are going to put somebody like Michael Madigan in, in, in your pocket. Um, what has the reaction been in the courtroom or, or you know, in response to, to the wiretaps? And I know we've, we've only scratched the surface on those, but, um, it, you know, I, I listened to some of that and some of the the, the ball breaking language. And it's like anyone who's ever worked on a campaign, half of your conversations in a day sound like a threat. So, so it's, it's not necessarily uh, like a, if, if you're on the inside, it maybe doesn't seem that bad, but, but these, these jurors aren't political people. So, so how, you know, what's the reaction? What, what have you seen in response to these? You know, it depends who you're talking to. And of course, when you're in the courtroom, you're not supposed to be reacting that much. Um, look, I, again, like you said, I, I hear from people in politics who are, are very fascinated to get this, this insider uh, view or, or perspective of what really went on in these meetings. We heard a, a meeting with Madigan and Cousineau and McLean discussing House leadership late in, in 2018. So they're just kind of fascinated uh, by that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the defense, you know, and, and the people who are there in support of them, I think they're well aware of what's going to come out. So they're not hearing these for the first time, but what really matters is the jury, right? And, um, the jurors, I, I think they've done a very good job of just kind of like staying neutral, taking it all in. Um, but I do think they're engaged. I was talking to people earlier today about how there was, um, you know, there was a moment earlier this week when Scott Lazar was, was, you know, um, going through the passage of EMA and Fija and absolutely doing his job as a defense attorney, but, you know, uh, boring certain people to tears and um, not the jury. I looked over at the jury though. And um, there was one juror in particular who was taking very close notes on everything that he was saying. 
Um, others were, were kind of seemed to be locked in. So I, I think they're still with us. I think they're, wonder, they're taking it in. But I, I also wonder, as someone who's aware of the process, you know, I've been down in Springfield. I, I've, I've covered politics, not like you, but I've done it. And, you know, I'm aware of how this stuff works. And, um, you know, so I'm aware that this is just kind of how, how politics operates. This is the real world. But are they thinking that? Are they realizing that this is normal politics? Or are they thinking, man, what a bunch of crooks and they've got to go to jail just because they're not familiar with how this process works. And it can be ugly. And Patrick Cotter said as much in his, in his opening statement. Um, that's what I'm wondering. Which, which side of this, as they're thinking about this, which, you know, are they, this is all politics or this is all you know, terrible and we don't want you know, the legislature run like this? I, I'm not sure. We've seen a couple of uh, former legislators, uh, Lou Lang and, and Scott Drury, were, were called to the, the stand. Uh, a current rep, Bob, Bob Rita, has been called to the stand. Uh, you mentioned Will Cousineau, who's one of the, the world-famous Matagoons, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that was kind of very active on the government and, and political side. What has been, to you, uh, the most fascinating, most compelling testimony so far? most compelling testimony so far. I mean, um, at the early, you mentioned Lou Lang and he testified early in the trial. Um, and, you know, we heard, I, I mean, that was, that had to be a very embarrassing moment for, for Lou Lang who had to get on the stand and sit there as everyone in the courtroom. And then therefore- And anyone who's ever met Lou Lang knows he's a very proud guy. Right, right. And, 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 you know, these recordings, we heard them in the courtroom, and now they're out there in public. And you hear Michael Madigan and Michael McLean discussing how, you know, it's time for this guy to go, because there had been an allegation against him before he was cleared of it. But apparently, there was somebody else who was threatening to go public. And you're listening to Michael Madigan and, and Michael McLean talk about how I think Madigan said, I don't see how this guy goes on. Um, and Michael McLean asked, when do you want me to lower the boom? Uh, on Lou Lang. And uh, Michael Madigan says sooner or later. And Lou Lang, as you know, is, was not a backbencher. The, Lou Lang had been with the legislature for, I believe, a couple of decades and was a, a member of the leadership team. And we heard on the stand that Lou Lang actually aspired to be Speaker of the House one day. And when it was time for him to go, it wasn't Michael Madigan who called him and asked him to please step down. It was Michael McLean who called him and said, I'm acting as an agent of somebody who cares about you. And when Lou Lang realized that Michael McLean was talking on behalf of Speaker Madigan and telling him, you know, it's time, your career's at an end. Um, and, and Lou Lang just accepting that, that was pretty powerful. Um, for the purposes of the trial, it showed that Lou Lang understood that Michael McLean spoke for Michael Madigan. Um, and, and then also to just watch Lou Lang sit there on the witness stand as, as this was all played. As you said, he's very proud and he, he could not have been very happy about this. And he actually had a testy exchange with Patrick, Patrick Cotter, who said something along the lines of Lou Lang had been facing sexual harassment charges. And that's when- And, and, and Cotter is uh, uh, McLean's attorney. McLean's attorney brought up these- you know, said sexual assault charges, something along that line. And, and Lou Lang got very upset and said he was not 
facing sexual assault charges and that he resented the accusation and the implication. So even though that was a, a week ago, that was a, a very powerful moment early on, I think, in this trial. You know, and, and again, from the outside, I think, you know, a lot of us, when we talk about these horse trading things, the uh, the the conversations and fights that have, have gone over, you know, the Blagojevich trial is a great way to point to that, where they say this is this is political horse trading. I was trying to benefit politically from from this appointment, even though there's no Mike Madigan saying I've got this thing and it's bleeping golden on tape. Um, it, it seems fascinating to me, and, and and I can let you go on this, that that this is going to be, in in my estimation, a tough haul for the f- prosecutors over the next couple of weeks of this trial to show exactly how the law was broken, you know, where there was a bribe, who, you know, how giving somebody an appointment that they may or may not have been qualified for or whatever, how that reached the level of criminality. I, I'm really fascinated to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks. What are you, what are you expecting? What are you hearing in terms of, of, of how these are going to play out over, over the next couple of weeks? I mean, I'm going to be watching for the same thing. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned it before. I, I think where we really kind of get to the meat of this is um, with, I, I think Ed Moody will be important. Uh, I, although I'm sure the defense will have uh, heavy cross-examination for him. But again, those recordings that Fidel Marquez made, um, that I, th- I think that's where the, the investigators felt that they clinched the case. And, and that's where I think um, it will, where the government's, where it will likely all come together for the government. One other quick point that I'd make, I mean, you're right. This is, uh, this is, um, you know, important for the government to put this together. It's going to be a lot of work for them. This is, this whole case is count two of Madigan's indictment. And you don't get to see very often a preview uh, of a trial. And you mentioned Bogoyevich, who of course wound up having two trials. This kind of gives the feds a practice run at some of this before they take Madigan to trial. I I think that's also a very interesting aspect of this too. And it's way down the road, but if Madigan does go to trial, it'd be interesting to see if there are any adjustments made uh, as a result of this trial. John Seidel from the Chicago Sun-Times. Follow him on Twitter at Seidel Content. It's been great stuff. Uh, If you're, if you're interested in this trial, even, you know, as a Politico or just somebody interested in, in the, the real life law and order stuff. So uh, John, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking some time. I know you've got crazy weeks during all this. So thanks for sitting down with us for a few. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That'll wrap it up for today. This trial will continue for at least another month or so, but Madigan's trial, of course, uh, doesn't start until sometime next year. So stay tuned as they say. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Illinois podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston. We'll talk to you again next time.